It's no secret that real estate is one of the best investment vehicles out there. But how can we determine which strategies will best align with our financial ambitions? Well, you've come to the right spot. Whether you're an active real estate entrepreneur, a passive investor, or looking to get into real estate investing, our goal is to provide investors with the insights and strategies for building our portfolios all while protecting our capital. I'm Daniel Nichols, and this is the Two Smart Assets Real Estate Investing Podcast. Hey guys, as you know, I'm a big fan of passive real estate investing. And as a busy W-2 professional working in the oil and gas industry, this type of investing has been a complete game changer for me. It's allowed me to build income streams faster, access private off-market opportunities, and bring stability to my portfolio by investing in hard assets like apartments and self-storage facilities. So if you're looking to learn more about these types of opportunities, I highly suggest you check out Upstream Equity. Whether you work in the oil and gas industry like me, or you're a busy professional looking to grow your investment portfolio, Upstream Equity is your go-to source for passive real estate investing. They do all the heavy lifting for you, from building strategic relationships with best-in-class operators to finding quality passive income opportunities. Upstream Equity truly makes this a hands-off experience. To find out more, go to upstreaminvestor.com. Once again, that's upstreaminvestor.com. All right, let's get into the show. What's going on, everybody? Welcome back to the show. I'm your host, Daniel Nichols, accompanied by our guest for the week, Jeff Davis. And today we are the two smart assets. For those not yet familiar with Jeff, he is a global sales executive for a Fortune 200 logistics company and has been active in real estate since 2015. He's an owner operator of Bridgestone Holdings, maintaining a portfolio of rental properties, as well as fixing and flipping single family houses in Houston and surrounding areas. And then in 2021, Jeff and his company, Bridgestone, moved into a more strategic arena focusing on multifamily syndications. Jeff, it is great to see you, sir. Welcome to the show. Man, thanks so much for having me. I'm excited. Yeah, I'm absolutely pumped to have you on the show. We're going to be talking about some interesting stuff today. But before we get into that, man, I want to hear more about you and your story, your background, and the path you took to get to where you are today uh, in your real estate career, man. Absolutely. Uh, so my wife and I, we're from New Orleans, Louisiana, and uh, we got married in 2005, and in 2005, Hurricane Katrina hit New Orleans. So we uh, we went ahead and packed up everything we owned, which comprised of a couple of boxes, which wasn't much. <laughs> <laughs> so we just we we moved into uh, Houston, Texas, and I just started knocking on doors, and I found a job in a logistics company. And so I was just basically a file clerk and a data entry clerk, uh, but I learned that business. I learned it as good as I could and started helping customers. Uh, I would help them track their freight, learn where their stuff was, uh, get it delivered. And I, I progressed in my career to helping customers solve complex supply chain issues. And, and that's what I do today. I help customers around the globe solve their complex uh, supply demand issues. Okay, awesome. So so you had a this this career in logistics and supply chain, all the all that stuff. But then then you got into real estate some somewhere at that point. So where was that and how did that happen? Yeah, so um, it kind of happened in a twofold way, right? In 2009, after we dumped our life savings into a house <laughs> on a down payment, yeah. we followed all the rules. We save up for years, and uh, we we put down a, a 20% down payment on our on a nice little house and a nice little neighborhood. And then uh, the economy crashes, and 
uh, our house is underwater and we're watching these, uh, or I am, I'm watching these investors buy up all these houses. And um, I just, I kind of mentally told myself that I want to learn how they're doing that and figure it all out because I don't want to be in this position anymore mm. where I watched that kind of dissipate. I didn't sell at a loss or anything, but it definitely was a mental kind of bashing. 2015, we moved, but I kept that house as a rental, absorbed quite a bit of real estate knowledge through books. And now I was about to put it into practice. Right. And it was a very frightening moment. But <laughs> uh, you know, I got that first rental check and I, I feel like at that point it was off to the races. I wanted to stabilize my income, right? Mm. You're in oil and gas, so you can speak to this more than me, but the economy is volatile. Uh, the logistics is volatile. Our our world in Houston can be volatile, and I wanted mm -hmm. to stabilize that. I was in sales. Sales can be volatile. So I wanted consistency in my income. So the way that I thought I could do this was have at least just one more check. And then it parlayed into another rental. So I had two more checks. Nice. And plus my commission was, you know, three more checks. And yeah. then I wholesaled some properties. So I had a couple more checks. And so I started to learn real estate a little bit more and get a little bit more nuanced. And I refinanced. And so that was like a big tax-free check. Yeah. Um, then I'd flip some properties and that was a nice profit. That was a lot of work. And that's what I started to figure out over the next few years was um, I still have this job and everything that I was doing was another job. Yeah. And I think, I think you brought up a, a few good, great points actually was especially income volatility, right? You want to make sure that you're, you have this diverse in these diverse income streams coming in because if you're relying on on one source you know you have these black swan events that can take you out and just like you said uh for me working in oil and gas that's almost a regular thing you can almost bet on that's gonna happen that's almost you can almost bet that's gonna happen every you know five years or something like that right not so, if but when yeah exactly right it's just one of those things you just kind of you know this is the name of the game so building those other income streams is extremely important right and so you did that um but it sounds like you did a lot of stuff in the single family space right uh, you know some people kind of just pick one thing and go after it what was that about you know picking the different thing, wholesaling rentals flipping and stuff like that uh why do that instead of just going after one were you just chasing different income streams is that why you were kind of doing a number of different uh, niches there i guess i was add i don't know <laughs> I, I was i think i was just trying to find the best deal sure and trying to find something to um, get that, that uh, yeah, just trying to find the best deal and, and find what I was really good at uh, and what was going to get me out of my job. Sure. You know, it, it, the rental prices were never, never good enough, um, and it just never seemed to satisfy. Um, so that was that's the best answer I can give you. No, and, I, and I, non satisfactory. Well, I like that though, right? Because you at least you knew what you were trying to achieve and you were going to go find the thing that did that, right? And so you might have tried a couple right. things and they weren't doing that for you. So you're like, hey, let me try something else. So I absolutely love that because the point is, is that you knew what the what the end goal was. It was like, you know, find something that can kind of replace your W-2 income or you know, your yeah. your sales income. So I think that's that's a perfect response. So 
you know, you were very successful in the single family space, you moved into syndications, and now you're doing that. And so there's a lot of things happening in the world today. I want to jump into your into the syndication stuff here in a bit. But there's a lot of stuff happening in the world today, as you know, headlines, topics, all the stuff we're seeing is inflation, the rising cost of goods, gas prices are high, all this stuff, right? Feds increasing interest rates. Uh, this is stuff that's in the headlines, right? So a lot of moving pieces. Uh, so with your background in logistics and supply chain and all that, you know, It'd be great to hear your opinion on kind of, or just how I want to talk a little bit about the global supply chain, how it works, who are the big players, and why has this been such a big topic throughout the pandemic and then continuing to where we are today? Well, it's a big topic because it highlighted what actually is happening in the world on a daily, daily basis. Sure. You know, um, I joke that my family's never known what I do for the past 20 years. <laughs> you know, like, like, why are you going to China? And, you know, what are you doing in Africa? So they, they've not known what what I do at right. all. Not a clue. But when I'm calling them and saying, hey, you might want to stock up on some things. Mm. Yeah, ah, we'll be fine. Okay. <laughs> Just trust me on this one. Right. And then and then in a few months when they see uh, nothing but headline news on all these ships off the coast of the LA, mm. uh, my my parents and my my sister are calling me like, is this what you were talking about? <laughs> yes. Yes. This is what I was talking about. Well, when's it going to be fixed? Exactly. Uh, a few years, a few <laughs> years. It's going to be a while. So the inside joke is that everybody, we're the popular kids now. You know, mm. we used to be this line item budget. And then all of a sudden we're having discussions at the board level, you know, C-suite discussions, owners of companies, because we went from this, just a line item, how much for logistics this year and see if you can reduce it to why is it now 10 times as much? And when can we get it? It's it's ten times as expensive, and that doesn't mean it's getting to my distribution network on time. And many many more high level discussions. We were we were the popular kids. Yeah, it's crazy, right? Because it seems like you know that's all we were seeing for for a while on the headlines, right? Is these type of things. But the thing is, is I think most at least U.S. citizens, at least, you know, a lot of people that you interact with, they don't even consider this kind of stuff, right? This is not something that's, you know, on their minds daily or even, you know, regularly at all, but it's extremely important to everyday life here, especially, I mean, globally, but as U.S. citizens, this is what we're focusing on, right? So um, right. We, we know there was a lot going on, um, pandemic, post-pandemic, we're kind of working through some stuff. Um, now, you know, the Fed is interest, uh, raising interest rates, but from a supply chain perspective, how are we looking now in the U.S. as compared to where we were maybe, you know, six, 12 months ago? Yeah, better. Okay. I mean, a little bit. Uh, we're on the path to some improvements. Still a lot of challenges. Uh, but to, to give you some idea, you know, off the coast of L.A. six, 12 months ago, there was, I think it was 119 vessels. They just couldn't get offloaded. It was just a complete log jam, could not get trucks in. The containers were getting mismatched. Airlines couldn't get moved through their terminals. There was just a complete disarray. Um, And the constant question to me from clients was, when is this going to stop? Mm -hmm. And the answer is only, you know, it's 
probably threefold, but the main answer is when demand stops, when demand mm. drops, when the consumers stop ordering from their phone, right. then you will see that uh, begin to trickle down. And uh, we, we saw a statistic from one of the major economists that none of these increased costs in labor, both overseas and here, uh, and materials, both here and overseas, were going to be felt by the U.S. consumer until quarter two of this year. And at quarter two of this year is when you began to see major inflation numbers in the news. Mm -hmm. And so as soon as the consumer began to see that, demand fell. Demand fell 50% for uh, the foreign-based, basically for imports. 50% from all of those months to June, massive decrease. That's huge. Wow. Yeah, that is massive. reflected in the price. Yeah. So, so what are we talking about in terms of lag time? Because I know there's there's obviously some lag time from from actions to awesome to question. repercussions. Yeah. What yeah. does that look like in terms of you know what people can expect to see in terms of that? Yeah. So if we just if we're going to track recent history, and this is going to be a me thing, not not anything that's put out there in the press, but if we're looking at how long it took for these massive increases in prices to be felt by the consumer, that was about a nine to 12 month, right? When mm. the consumer began to feel these prices. Well, now that they're being decreased, now that everything's kind of going down, probably looking at about another nine to 12 months before those decreases begun. And, and these uh, kind of the shift in supply chain and the congestion begins to work itself out. Wow, I mean that's that's really something that people need to take in consideration, right? It's, this is this is not something that happens overnight, right? This is you know if there's changes, they're going to take time to to you know you see those on the back end. So I think that's a I, I really appreciate you uh, putting into that detail. So I'd like to tie in the Fed with this a little bit as well, right? Because there's more than mm-hmm. there's more than one moving piece, right? And so they're raising interest mm-hmm. rates. They say that they're going to continue to raise rates until inflation is cooled. I um, mean they said they're going to only do you know a few more raises, but who knows what's going to happen. Um, so I'm curious, you know, how has the global supply chain and inter- and the current interest rate environment interacted with each other you know what does that look like from a you know uh, a bird's eye view are you seeing them work in tandem uh, to ease inflationary pressures or you think this is going to be something that actually well, works or uh, where are we at in that yeah. process <laughs> i think say double whammy triple whammy right okay. if you figure all of these massive costs increase have have now begun to trickle through trickle through distribution networks through big retailers, through the distributors in your business, right? And oil and mm-hmm. gas for valves and tools and sure. everything in, in your business. So now those big cost increases have hit at the retail level. Fuel prices are massively higher. And now costs of capital, it's like a triple whammy. Demand on all levels is really hitting a slow, a slowing down. And I think that's kind of the the purpose. Right. And so if demand at the consumer level, you, your big players in the supply chain and logistics are the retailers, they're already canceling orders and they have been for, wow. for a month. Wow. You know, when I talk to my customers, um, anything that had a delay, if it has not booked, they're canceling the orders. And you're talking about your Academy Outdoors, your Home Depot, your Lowe's, your Walmarts, uh, they they're canceling any orders that haven't 
that haven't hit the West Coast. Wow, that's that's crazy. So, so like you said, this is basically a triple whammy, right? And so I'm kind of curious, you know, you've had, you know, in the news, the Fed saying, hey, we're shooting for a soft landing. And this is just this is just a random question. I'm just kind of curious of your opinion. Do you think, you know, they'll be able to achieve that soft landing? Or do you think this triple whammy is going to, you know, really be a knockout punch? Like, are we going to hit some kind of major recession, depression? Right. Correct. Yes. That's a fantastic question. I don't know. Right. <laughs> I don't know right. the answer to that. It would be nice to have this soft landing. I think it's we've we've seen what is happening, and and you know we we both play in the multifamily space. People selling it are not getting probably mostly not getting the prices that they want. Single family, they're not getting the prices that they want because monthly, you know, our monthly income is not getting as much for the dollar. So I think that's about as much as you're going to see. Right. But at the on the bright side, there's not as much demand for the same good. There's not as many people clamoring for the same good, which is going to pull back that demand so that that supply lasts longer. Absolutely. So I guess, yeah. You know, I'm trying to sound smart, but <laughs> hopefully sounds- all these things work. Right. Yeah. No, 100%. Because that's what was happening. He had all this money out there and everybody just nothing to do sitting at home and ordering a bunch of crap on their computer. And now they had time to go out. Now they're going outdoors as things open up. Now they're pulling the money back so we can chill out. Yep. 100%. So maybe, I hope I'm right. Nine to 12 months from now, it's kind of leveled out. We'll have to bring you back on the show to get, you know, do a little rewind and uh, see what that looks like. But I'm, I'm glad you're <laughs> hopefully you're not hanging me up. <laughs> <laughs> no, 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 oh, no, we're just having fun. But, uh, but, you know, I'm, I'm glad you brought up real estate because, you know, we talk a lot about real estate investing on this show. And so, you know, you kind of mentioned a few things that, you know, have been a, a basically like a repercussion of all these things for, for real estate investors. And so I, as we talked about before the show, I'm a big fan of passive investing in real estate syndications and, you know, um, what I've seen over the last you know handful of months has been, for, in my opinion, a, a pretty good slowdown in deal flow coming coming across my desk. You know, usually there's yeah. a massive amount of you know opportunities hitting my inbox. Now there's only a few, right? And it's been definitely quite a bit of slowdown. And so everybody's got their opinion, you know, whether they're gonna you know hang out on the sidelines or they're gonna keep investing. So I'm curious, uh, has your strategy shifted at all during you know the last six months or you know going forward? Are you still participating and uh, or are you kind of wait and see approach? I don't, I don't believe in the wait and see. I mean, my fundamentals have never changed, right? Sure. I was not buying at, I was not overbuying. I, I was always looking at, does this deal make sense? And if you were looking at something and financing it, and, and it only made sense if you had a certain type of financing, um, then maybe that wasn't the best deal. Mm. But if something makes sense, I was making offers based on what makes sense. So I wasn't winning a lot of deals because right. Right. because there's there's plenty of dumb money out there, right? <laughs> There's plenty of dumb money. And if somebody's going to pay a million dollars more than me, yeah. then, then man, God bless them and let, let them, have them it. let them go have it. Yeah. Um, and, and here in the past two months, I think those aren't closing. Mm. Those, those are still, and, and I've literally had three brokers call me in the past two weeks for deals that didn't close that we submitted offers on. 
Wow. And those sellers still don't want our offer, but we're hanging around. The brokers have told us, hang around, man, hang around. So we, I've stuck to my guns. My, I am, I am very aggressive on the buying side because I, I did pretty well buying when interest rates were 6% last time when selling when they were three. <laughs> <laughs> it's a beautiful thing, man. Absolutely beautiful and, thing. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's fun. <laughs> <laughs> I love to hear it. Well, you know, I love to hear that you you've stuck to your your strategy, right? Your foundation, because I think a lot of people they might try to you know pivot when you know things get tough or whatever. But you know, having those having your rock solid foundation, I think is probably one of the most important things you can do as an investor. And um, so glad to hear that, man. You know, I'm I'm kind of the same way. Uh, still active, you know, still trying to find good deals and and participate where I can. Right, uh, sitting on the sidelines is. You can only do so much of that anyway, so uh, you got to be active. Yeah, I mean, right now is not. I mean, can't speak for everybody, but being on the sidelines right now in a high inflationary market is. Uh, I can't can't advise it, man. Can't it's condone tough. it. <laughs> yeah, definitely, definitely tough. And so, so uh, you know, we're we're going a little low on time here, but I want to ask one more thing real quick. So, you know, it as investors, you and I were investors, um, and you know, you have a good pulse on, you know, kind of what's happening in the global supply chain and all that stuff. And I, I know you're watching, you know, everything with the economy and stuff like that. Is there anything that you're trying to you're keeping an eye on right now uh, in terms of potential events, news, headlines, that would be important to you that you're saying, hey, you know, I really want to make sure I'm paying attention to this and see what happens from here? Um, well, it seems like the Ukraine thing, nobody's talking about that anymore, mm -hmm. um, which is a little weird. Um, <laughs> there's nothing things that are coming up are kind of black swan events and mm. that's, that's what really was frustrating as uh, throughout the past two years was there was no singular event it was mm. these numerous black, black swan events like uh the evergreen vessel getting stuck in the suez canal oh, yeah. that's rando that Crazy. is a random event that yeah. disrupts everything uh a couple of times at a uh, covid thing in the shanghai airport mm -hmm. this, this is a black swan event um right now there's some chassis issues uh, across several major metropolitan areas in the u.s but as these um as the import export balances out in the u.s it's really flushing itself out and it's getting better so i i do see a better balance on the supply chain um not right now right, right. not next week but as we're, as demand kind of calms down. Yep. Love to hear that, man. I appreciate you uh, sharing that with us. Definitely. I know I'll be keeping my eye on this stuff uh, and hoping to connect with you further down the road, you know, kind of just to follow up, see what you're seeing and all that good stuff. But uh, man, this has yeah. been a great, been a, been a great conversation before we get out of here. Tell us uh, how we can find out more about you and our listeners can uh, connect with you. Yeah. Uh, hit me up at multifamilyadvice.com, multifamilyadvice.com. That's a free white paper. It's seven reasons why I like multifamily and I'm a huge fan of it. I'm heavily invested in multifamily and commercial real estate, but download the paper and we'll be in touch. 
Awesome. You Jeff, we're going to call me sure. on logistics too. Oh, perfect. <laughs> we're going to make sure to put that stuff in the show notes, man. Dude, this has been a great conversation. Really appreciate you taking the time to speak with me today, Jeff. Hey, real quick, before we get out of here, do me a huge favor and leave a rating and review for the podcast. We're always looking to bring you guys the best insights and strategies for building our real estate portfolios and your ratings and reviews really help with getting top guest speakers that are the best in the real estate investing business. I promise this will only take you a few seconds and I'd really appreciate it. Thanks for being awesome, guys. Cheers.